Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Hello, my name is Chris Kipp, and I'm broken. And I also serve as the lead pastor at Renaissance Church, so there's that. (laughs) And if you're a person who knows that you're not perfect, that you're broken, and that you have struggles, guess what? You're in the right place, all right? That is uh, who we are as human beings, that we are all a mix, a mixed bag of some good things that are in us because of God's work in us, but also some things that are broken, some sin struggles, some some stuff down in us. And if we were like a suitcase, if our souls were like a suitcase, many of our souls would look like if you've ever been on a long trip and at the end of the trip, you're like, I don't want to pack my bag in. So you just throw everything in there, right? It's like some, some, maybe some leftover clean clothes and some dirty clothes, and it's all just in there. Like That's kind of the condition of our souls. We, we're a mixed bag, and we're talking about our brokenness, and this is the, the last week of a series called Soul Care. That's the series we're in. Soul Care is the, um, the truly liberating, Christ-centered process of applying God's truth to the brokenness of our souls. And if you're a Christian in the room and you came to Christ thinking like, man, now that I'm a believer, everything's good. And then you lived for a little while and you're like, oh, no, no, no. Everything is not quite good yet. And there's a reason God is doing a work in us and it, and it deals with the brokenness that's in us. And so week one, we talked about uh, why are we all so broken? And we looked at the Garden of Eden when, when the serpent deceives Eve and then they eat the fruit and then all of a sudden there's brokenness now in our human souls. We talked about uh, self-awareness. We talked about our identity in Christ. We talked about the performance trap, how we look to uh, our own abilities to define ourselves, our successes in life. We talked about our approval addiction, how we want certain other people to think well of us. And if they do, we're okay. And if they don't, we're not okay. Last week, we talked about the blame game, how we often, we, we point the finger at everything and everyone else and blame everyone else in order to avoid responsibility for our own souls. Today, I wanna close out our series, and we're gonna be talking about shame. Shame. The title of today's message is When Shame Is Your Name. When shame is your name. Do y'all know that, uh, that little saying when you were young? Shame, shame, shame. Everyone knows your name. Y'all, y'all know that, right? Maybe you said that to your, your kids or your spouse, maybe even today, you said shame on you, right? Well, let's talk about shame because shame in and of itself is not a bad thing. I know in our modern world, we have uh, a lot of talk about shame. A lot of that comes from uh, Carl, uh, Carl Jung, who was a famous psychiatrist who talked about shame as the, 
uh, he called it, I think it was like the abyss of the soul or something like that. So there's a lot of talk about the word shame, but shame in and of itself is not a bad thing. The um, definition, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. A painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. Now, here's why it's not necessarily all bad. The definition of a sociopath is a person who has little to no conscience. So if you feel no shame at all, you might be a sociopath, okay? I know, we, we, you know if, you're, if you're a mature Christian, you're like, I have no shame in my life. Well, you probably have a little bit of shame, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the scripture talks about shame a lot. If you remember the Garden of Eden, when man creates the man and then the woman, and it says they were naked and they felt no Shame, right? Then, of course, sin comes in the story, and they're hiding everything, sewing fig leaves together, and they feel ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You see, the, the Bible uses that word in a lot of different ways. It, it does use it in a way of a, a sense of embarrassment, of humiliation. I'm not embarrassed. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in my, my words, in this adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you when, you come, when, when I come with my glory. Right? So there's shame is all over the scriptures. But what I want to talk about today is specifically when shame is your name. When shame becomes the identity that you live from. You see, the false belief of toxic shame is this. I am what I am. I cannot change. I'm hopeless. Ever felt that way before? Yeah. You have this thing, this recurring thing in your life, and you're like, ah, that's just who I am. I don't know why God made me that way. I am what I am. I cannot change. I'm hopeless. Brene Brown, who's a famous author, a fellow Houstonian, she's a researcher at the University of Houston. She has a couple really famous TED Talks, if you've seen those online. Um, she also has written some books a lot about shame, things to do with shame. And she um, comments on the difference between shame and guilt. And she says that shame is, I am bad. Guilt says, I did bad. Shame is self-focused, whereas guilt is behavior-focused. You do something wrong, you feel bad about what you did wrong. You're conscious of shortcoming, fault, error, sin, in your life, right? That's guilt. I did something bad, but shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And there's a powerful difference between this, this understanding of guilt and when shame becomes an identity. Shame is operative. When we are more defined by our past, our past sins, mistakes, and failures, then we are defined by God, his word, and the finished work of Christ on 
the cross. That's when shame is operative. And uh, I found this quote from Robert McGee. He wrote a book years ago called The Search for Significance. Fantastic book. And it says this, we behave in a manner that is consistent with our perception of ourselves. We behave in a manner that is consistent with our perception of ourselves, meaning this, you can know the Bible, you can know Jesus, you can, you can have a relationship with God, and you can go to church on a regular basis, and you could still not be transformed because this truth has not gotten down into your heart, into your soul, and you constantly see yourself according to your past, your sins, your mistakes, and not through the finished work of Jesus. If you want to start turning to Titus chapter 3, I want us to look at um, some passages of Scripture. And while you're turning there, I just want to talk about how does this show up in our lives? You see, toxic shame shows up in our lives as a deep sense of inferiority, and if, you're, if you have been a victim of abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, spiritual abuse, if you've been a victim of abuse, sometimes you can carry with you this just nagging, deep sense of inferiority. And it has to do with toxic shame. It can show up in our destructive behaviors and habits. Some of us have picked up some things along the way. And um, you might say, you know, I started fill in the blank. You know, I started smoking. I started drinking in excess. I started dipping. I started smoking weed. I started doing drugs. I started taking pills. I started looking at pornography. I started this thing and I can't quit. I've tried and it didn't work. I've tried this. This might be the outworking of toxic shame in your life. It shows up as self-pity or a sense of hopelessness. It can show up as despising our appearance. In, in uh, Brene Brown's research, she says that many times shame for women sounds like do it all and do it perfectly and never let them see you sweat. And for men, it sounds like one thing. Never, ever appear weak. This is the, the work of shame inside of us, how it shows up. The question is, what does the gospel say to us when it comes to our shame? Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read in verse 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul says, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior 
and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So we have the Apostle Paul writing this letter to Titus. Titus is a young man that he has personally invested himself into. He's discipled this young man. He calls him a true son in the faith. And he sends his, his, uh, his protege Titus to Crete. And he says, I want you to go set things in order. And I want you to put elders in every church. And Paul has a real concern that these believers are living in a manner that is uh, consistent with the gospel of Jesus. And guess what? Toxic shame will prevent us from living in a manner that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he's concerned about these believers that... Um, they might fall into some false teaching, and he's, he's telling them, I, I want you to, to preach sound wisdom, sound doctrine to these people. And he wants to make sure that they're committed to doing good, to doing what is good. And again, toxic shame will block us from being able to do what is good. And each week in our series, we've been taking a word of, of doctrine. We talked about justification. We talked about reconciliation. We talked about propitiation last week. Paul uses a word in here that I want us to unpack together. And the word is regeneration. Regeneration. You see, God's answer to the false belief, I am what I am, I cannot change, I am hopeless, is regeneration. It's the gospel medicine. If, if you could picture the gospel like this bouquet of flowers that, that is, you know, it's, it's one thing, but it has all these truths inside of it that are powerful for us. This is one of the truths that is so powerful, powerful for us as followers of Jesus, regeneration. He says, he uses this phrase, the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So here's what it means. Regeneration is a secret act of God, I like that, in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. That's what it means. A secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. It's secret in that it's, it's a mystery to us. You might recall uh, from the life of Jesus, a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a teacher of Israel. He comes to Jesus at night, and he asks him, you know, Rabbi, we know that you must be a teacher who's come from God because no one else could do the things that you're doing. So who are you? And he tells the man, what? You must be born again. And he uses mysterious language. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is a secret, mysterious act of God in which he puts new life within us. It's an act of God because Titus 
tells us, or Paul tells us in the book of Titus, not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy. See, regeneration is a secret act of God that you had nothing to do with. Nothing to do with. It was a sovereign work of the spirit inside of your heart. Just as you did not choose to be physically born, you had no control over when mama pushed you out, okay? You were just, boom, there you were one day. In the same way, to be born of the spirit is not of our will. John 1.13, he talks about those who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. A secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Some of you, you talk about your walk with Christ and you, you can point back to a moment, maybe a particular day, Maybe a season of your life where you don't know how to explain it except that the light came on. I, I, I don't know why, but I'd been around the church. I'd heard some stuff about Jesus. And then one day, this person says this, or I opened the Bible and read this, or I was at church and the preacher talked about this. And then all of a sudden, boom, the light came on. I understood I was awakened to the truth of Jesus. That, my friends, is when the regeneration happens, the impartation of new spiritual life. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. So, what does this have to say to shame? Let's talk about that. You see, regeneration, this, this gospel truth moves us from I am what I am to I am what the I am says I am. That's a mouthful. Let me say it again. The gospel moves us from I am what I am to I am what the I am says I am. Because here's the thing. It's so easy for us to get stuck because of we, we know our life, we know our pattern, we know our, I always struggle with this, I always get stuck on this thing, the sin always kind of creeps up, it's like I, I always, you know, fill in the blank. I always struggle with the same thing, I am what I am. I've always been this way. Or you might say about someone else, she's always been that way. Right? You might use a phrase like, well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Meaning what? Their family's always been that way. We have truisms like, the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. And all those have some truth in them, right? They have some truth in them. But regeneration means that now there's a new variable in your equation. Does that make sense? I've always done it this way, but the Holy Spirit's now inside of you. And you had nothing to do with it. 
God has brought new spiritual life to you through regeneration, meaning there's a whole new thing happening. And the scripture says that God works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Something has been added that is different than the cycle that you've been in because of regeneration. We can add up our past and conclude, I am what I am. I will be what I've been. Can people really change anyways? And that's because shame is always past-oriented. But faith is always future-oriented. Always future-oriented. There's an incredible story from the book of Exodus And uh, you probably know the story. You've heard the story of Moses. Moses, who's out there, he's killed somebody. He's run away. He spent 40 years on the ranch. He's out there watching the sheep one day, and he sees a, a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he's like, that's strange. So he walks closer to the bush, and then a voice speaks. It's the voice of the Lord. It says, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And he calls Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I that you would do that? Great question. Because if Moses could add up his past performance and his anger, his temper, the way he killed that guy in Egypt, he could be like, hmm. Shame would block him from ever being able to follow the Lord's call. And then he says, who should I say sent me? If I just say, well, I was, saw a bush on fire and a voice came and now I'm going to come. And they're like, you're nuts. You've lost it. Like, who do I tell them sent me? And here's what God says. And this is a, this is a beautiful moment, very powerful moment. He says, tell them I am who I am has sent you. Think about that. The only person on the planet who's able to make an I am statement like that is God himself. Which means that you and I, we're actually not even able to say I am what I am with authority, because honestly, we're still figuring it out, right? (laughs) I think I'm this way. I took a personality test. It told me I'm this way. I think this is how I am. I kind of know what I am or who I am. The only one with the authority to really speak to you and tell you, here's who you are, is the one who can say, I am who I am. And that's also translated as, I will be what I will be. And the only person who can tell you who you will be, who you are becoming, is the one who can say, I will be who I will be. My shame says, I am what I am, and I cannot change but we need the words of the great I am. On week three, when we talked about identity, I gave you guys an image, and some of you have seen on your phones. I challenge you to put this image on your lock screen 
because the average person touches their phone 2,617 times per day. Hello, that's a lot of times. I don't know how many times you touch your Bible during the day. It's probably not 2,617 times per day, but you touch your phone that much because you're, you're checking the time, you're looking at a message or a notification, something buzzes in your pocket, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna take it out and see what it is. And so I challenge you, if you go to rin-church.org identity, there's an image there, and you can just download it and put it on your phone screen so that every time you hold the phone up to your face, I want you to see what the I am says that you are. The I am says who I am. The I will be declares what I will be. Second thing, the gospel moves us from I cannot change to I cannot not change. And if you're an English grammar police in the house, you're like, oh, I hate this, right? Because it's, I'm using a double negative. I learned about um, terms I was doing algebra again. I had to like pull the cobwebs out of my brain. My son's taking algebra. And so we're learning algebra and how to like, you know, you're, you're basically canceling things out. And so what happens to a double negative? You know, right? They cancel each other out. They become the positive. I can change. Just say that with me. I can change. Let's try it one more time because you don't believe it yet. I can change. Years ago on TV, there was a hilarious show called The Red Green Show. This was out in the 90s. Some of you weren't born yet, so just bear with an old guy for a second. It's a great show, Canadian humor. And there was a meeting of men. They would meet at this lodge and they would do the man's prayer. And the man's prayer was this. I'm a man I can change if I have to, I guess. Amen. <laughs> I thought that was so hilarious. But it's kind of how we approach our spiritual lives. I'm a man or a woman, and I can change if I have to, I guess. And that, my friends, is just, it's just like just a half-truth because the, the spirit of God in you means not only that you can change, it means that change is inevitable. It's what God is doing inside of you because of a secret act where he brought new life into your heart. He says this in verse three. He said that we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived. We were enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. We're broken too. We have the same story of all these people. It's our story too. We too were once that way, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We have changed. And we're going to keep changing because there's new life 
in us. Here's what it means to you. You're not stuck. You're like, Chris, it's been a long time. Decades in the same stuff. Really? Can I change? Absolutely. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change. You're not stuck. It moves us from I cannot change to I cannot not change. Thirdly, lastly, the gospel moves us from I am hopeless to I am spirit-filled. It moves us from I am hopeless to I am spirit-filled because Paul goes on and he says... This regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly. Abundantly. He poured his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, in our shame, we can start to think it's hopeless. It is, it's just hopeless. I'm not even going to try anymore. Because what is the point? I'm sick of it. It's hopeless. But now, the Spirit of God is in you. Not because you're awesome, not because of works of righteousness, but because of Jesus and the mercy of God. Romans 15, 13, Paul says, this is the closing of the book, now may the God of hope God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you have been awakened by the Spirit of God, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are not hopeless. Because the God of hope fills you and you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so all the places where you felt like, ugh, hopeless, what's the point? I just want you to hear from the word of God, you have hope, abundant, abundant hope. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? We've been in this series about soul care, and I think this is, this is so important for us as we deal with our brokenness. It's really two things. The first thing is this. You need to break your agreement with a lie. You need to break your agreement with a lie. When you say to yourself, I am what I am, I cannot change. I am hopeless. You're just reinforcing the lie. When you say those things about yourself, when you're like, oh, I'm just this way. I've always been this way. I've, I'm just a whatever because I've always been that way. It's, well, it runs in my family. We're all blah, 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 blah. You're agreeing with something that is absolutely false. You're agreeing with falsehood. And you need to receive the better word. I am a redeemed child of the Most High God. He loves me. 
He paid the highest price for me. He's called me his, his child, his son, his daughter. His spirit dwells within me. I can change. I can, do, I can live differently because of his power in me. We need to break our agreement with a lie. And we need to receive the truth and apply it. And you might need to get kind of specific with this because whatever that thing is that hangs you up, you might need to find something that you can hang on to from scripture and just like beat it into your head, okay? You need to memorize it. You need to put it in you. You need to apply it. And every time you find yourself in that same place, maybe you're, you're spiraling mentally down. You feel like you're getting stuck. I'm, I'm walking right into that same old temptation, that right, right into that same old thing that I always do. And it's like, that's the moment when I need the truth. That very moment. To apply it. The I am says who I am. I can change, and I am spirit-filled. I want to close with one last thing. And When we were going through the church planning residency program, um, we did about 30% of our gatherings to prepare for this was this kind of stuff, getting into the brokenness of our own hearts because they knew that as soon as you step out there to plan a church and to, and to lead, it's like all this stuff's going to come right to the surface. And you're going to find yourself battling it. They wanted to equip us. And there was a, um, a phrase that helped me. And I want to give it to you as a gift that maybe it will help you as you seek to apply the truth of God to your soul. The phrase was this, get up in the balcony. If you've ever been to a basketball arena, maybe you've been to the Houston Rodeo before, and if you're like me, you don't like buy tickets beforehand, you just like show and get some at the door and try to get a seat, and so you get up into the cheap seats, the nosebleeds up there, I don't know if you've ever been there before, and it's like you're just way up there and everything looks just tiny down there, and you can see the whole arena. There are things in our lives that we get stuck on, things that we feel all this toxic shame about, where we've had the patterns over and over again. And it's important for you to, maybe after you fall back into that old temptation, that old thing, that old thought pattern, that old sin, whatever that thing is, that afterwards, you go get up in the balcony, go all the way up to the cheap seats, to where you can look down and see the whole thing. For example, for me, um, one of my things in my life was that I would get really angry. You know, I, I would just get so mad about stuff. And everything in me is like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get mad like this. You shouldn't lose your temper. In your anger, do not sin, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever been there before? Been that mad before? And... Rather than just saying, just stop doing it, what was helpful was to say, why do I do that? What is it that keeps me in the cycle? What is the shame that keeps me stuck? And I have to get up in the balcony and I have to figure and, and think about what was happening in that moment. What, what was going on inside of my heart? What was I believing? 
And then once I can really identify what it was that I was believing, the lie that I was grabbing onto, I could replace the lie with the truth. For me, when I would lose my temper, it's like everything would feel out of control and I would want to just lose my temper and I could just make everything submit to my control for a second. Guess what that produced? Nothing good, right? We all have things like that in our lives. And so we have to get up in the balcony and we have to do the work and I can know I'm not in control. I can't control anybody. I can't make you do something. I can't make anybody do anything. I'm responsible for me. And it breaks the cycle of shame in your life. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.